morning we're going to be focusing on the, the subject, not by might nor by power, but my spirit. So if you kind of get that thought in your mind this morning, that's what we're going to be looking at. Now we're going to be going to Zechariah. We're going to the Old Testament this morning, one of the minor prophets, and uh, next to the last book in the Old Testament, Zechariah, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. I would like to read that. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of a, his deep sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? <coughs> then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but my spirit says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace grace to it. Well, about or just a little over 2,500 years ago, um, there lived a, a prophet of God in the city of Jerusalem, and his name was Zechariah. Now, during the time of, of Zechariah, many of the Jews, they were returning from Babylonian captivity. That was what was going on during this time. There was a great, and there was a great desire among the people to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, which had been destroyed by the Babylonians when they took the Jewish people captive in, in 586 B.C. And the ruins of the temple, when they destroyed it, it, it was, just, it was a, a disaster. It was just like a mountain of stone and, and rubble there. And just the thought of putting all the broken pieces back together again, that just seemed impossible to the rebuilders. But this was the task that God had commissioned Zechariah to do. Now, if you can imagine Zechariah in this spot, and he's looking at this mountain of rubbish where the temple had been destroyed, and God said, I want you to rebuild this. I want you to put it back together. Well, um, one night, the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah in a, in a vision. And in this vision, Zechariah, he saw a number of items related to the temple there. He saw a golden lamp stand and a bowl on top of it. And on, on the stand were seven lamps with seven pipes coming into each of the, the different lamps. To the right and to the left there was a, uh, of the lamp stand were two olive trees. Now, the golden lamp stand here, that was familiar to Zechariah because it was one of the furnishings of the old temple. So he knew exactly what that was. You know, and the temple that had been destroyed beforehand, he saw that many times. So he knew. He was familiar with that. But it was those two olive trees that supplied the lamps with oil 
um, through the seven pipes, that's what had Zechariah puzzled. He didn't know what that was. He hadn't seen that before. Now, in the old temple, one of the most tedious jobs that there was, or one of the most tedious duties that there was um, for the temple service was the constant care of the golden lampstand. Because, see, they had to be continually filled with oil um, so that they would stay lit. And they had to be cleaned of all the soot, and they had to, the wicks had to be trimmed constantly. This was an ongoing process, so this was, this was a task that just kept going. It was kind of a tedious job for them. But in this vision, Zechariah, he doesn't see any temple service, you know, tending to the golden lamp. So this was different for him. He didn't understand how that could be. Well, instead of, you know, instead he sees basically self-filling lamps here being fed with a constant supply of olive oil from the two olive trees. And in verse 6 and 7, the angel explains the meaning of the vision here. Notice in verse 6, the angel mentions a, a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, to tell you who he was, he was the head of the tribe of Judah during the time that, of their return from Babylonian captivity. And also, Zerubbabel, he had been the primary overseer um, of the construction of the second temple, the one that had been destroyed by the Babylonians. So he knew what was going on. He knew how that temple was put together. And now, 70 years later, Zerubbabel has the responsibility of overseeing the reconstruction of the temple. Well, this reconstruction project, it had just kind of stalled out. And Zerubbabel and all of his labors, they had really gone, uh, grown discouraged because of all of this. Every day when they got to work, you know, when they reported to work and they saw this massive mountain of stone and, and rubble, um, and the task of putting it all back together again, it just seemed impossible. It was one of those things like, this will never get done. That was the thought that they had. But look at verse 6 and 7. We're going to kind of zero in on that. So he answered and he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Now, how would Zerubbabel accomplish the impossible task of rebuilding the temple here? Well, we see that it's not going to be by might. You know, might, you know, refers to the collective strength of, and resources of the group there and all the workers. In other words, the temple is not going to be rebuilt by all the people pulling all their collective strength together to get the job done. It's not going to be that way. And it's not going to be by power. Um, power refers to individual strength. In other words, the temple was not going to be rebuilt by Zerubbabel's master engineering or by um, the skills and abilities of any one craftsman. It wasn't going to be built that way. The temple would be rebuilt, but not by human might, not by human power, but by what? The Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, look in verse 7 here. 
Verse 7, the angel reveals what the Spirit was going to do. It says, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. Now, the mountain they're talking about here is referring to that mountain of stone and rubble, you know, used to build the temple. And by the power of God's Holy Spirit, Zerubbabel and his men would transform that mountain's ruin into a glorious temple of God. That was the plan. And then the latter part of verse 7 here, it says, And ye shall bring forth the capstone which, with shouts of grace, grace to it. And other translation says, God bless it. God bless it. Well, the capstone, um, as you remember from Old Testament history and such, the capstone was the final stone to be laid when the construction was complete. That was the last thing to do. When the building was complete, that was the last brick put in place or that last thing. It was the finishing touch. It was the final thing. And on that day when Zerubbabel would set the capstone in place, he and all the temple workers basically would say, God did this, not us. It was by God's um, power of God's spirit. Um, this temple has been rebuilt. Now, the fact that the temple was rebuilt over 2,500 years ago in the city of Jerusalem, it may not mean much to you and me. Not a thing. But the manner in which it was rebuilt has everything to do with you and me. Not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit. So for the remainder of the message, what I want to do, I want you to consider three important thoughts here, keying in on that phrase. First of all, I'd have you consider the desperate need for God's power today. You know, I hate to admit this, I hate to even say it, but one of the things that seems noticeably missing in many of our churches today is the power of God. You know, we see a lot of things. We see some beautiful church buildings. We see a lot of beautiful church buildings. We see a lot of, 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 of well-polished worship service with elaborate audio and video equipment. We see a lot of well-organized programs, you know, that meet the needs of families of, of all ages. But the question is, where is the power of God in all this? You know, many times we have so many different programs and people have uh, great attendance and stuff because I have all these programs, dog and pony shows. But you know what? When you take the dog and pony shows away, what do you have? Those folks, they just, they just disappear. You see, what you win them with, you win them to. And we need to win them to Jesus Christ. We need to get back to the basics, you see. Where's the power of God in all of this? Well, we see a lot of powerlessness of many Christians in their daily living. You know, many Christians, they live in just a constant uh, defeat and discouragement. And why that is, I just don't know. Many are slaves to sinful addictions like alcohol and, and pornography and, and gambling. And folks, that's a bigger thing than you may think here. And many Christians, they fret and worry just as much as those who don't even know Jesus Christ. Can, can you imagine that? Secondly, 
We see the powerlessness in many Christian homes. You know, husbands refusing to be the spiritual leaders in their homes or wives refusing to submit to their husbands or children who are are disobedient and rebellious toward their parents or husbands who are cheating on their wives or wives who are cheating on their husbands. Also, we see the powerlessness in many churches. You know, at one time, the church was a great force in our communities all across this nation. You know, I remember a time when civic leaders, um, when they plan, when they plan their calendars, they would not plan them so that they would interfere with any Sunday or Wednesday night Bible studies. I remember that time. That was a time when I was playing football in high school. And I remember always on Wednesdays, we got out of practice early because we were going to church. And that's what we did. And the school system did that. And to have anything on a Sunday, a ball game or extracurricular activity, that was taboo. It just didn't happen, you see. But all that has changed today. And I hate to say it, but even in some of our Bible colleges where people are going to learn to preach and teach the Word of God that have a baseball team. They play on Sundays. You know, I think that if I had to play on Sunday, I had a baseball team and and it was a Bible college, I'd say that's a game that's going to be forfeited. But it don't. Things have changed, you see. You know, could it be that the world sees the church as a farce instead of a force? You know, is it any wonder that as the church has lost its powerful voice that our communities all across this land have been run over by drug dealers and drug addicts and and thieves and murderers. You know, the church has, has, has lost its position of what it should be in the community. Folks, is it possible that the reason churches on a whole are having very little or little impact upon society is because we're relying solely on human might and our human power, and not upon the Spirit of God. Is that possible? Folks, how desperately we need the power of God's Spirit in our lives and in our churches. Of course, if it's in our lives, it's going to be in our churches because we are the church, you see. Secondly, once you consider this, the disgraceful reasons for the lack of God's power today Now, there's many reasons, but I want to talk about three this morning. Um, Why many Christians and many churches lack the power of God's Spirit. Number one, we fail to truly seek God's face. Let me ask you a question. How often do we make plans in our life without ever seeking the guidance of God's Holy Spirit? How many times do we proceed with programs in a church without ever seeking the guidance of God's Spirit? How often do we make decisions in the church based upon our opinions and whatever the majority wants rather than what the Holy Spirit guides us to do? You know, many cases in, in a lot of churches, You know, we've turned the Lord's church into a democracy ruled by the desires of the people rather than the theocracy ruled by the desire of God. 
We see that in the mainstream media right now. Our church is going through a major split because of that very same thing. People want to run the church with their own opinions and their own desires rather than what the Word of God says. And that's the source of that split. We've also, we fail to turn from our sinful ways. Listen, when sin runs rampant within the church, the church becomes powerless to effectively reach those outside the church. I'd like to refer you to Colossians, the fourth chapter, verses five and six. It says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Folks, don't think for one minute that the way you live outside the, the four walls of this church building here doesn't matter. You see, either you are a stepping stone for others to come to Christ or you are a stumbling block to keep them away from Jesus Christ. What you do, your life matters, and it is important. You know, if our lost friends and, and our loved ones, if they can't see the transforming power of God's Holy Spirit in our lives, our Christian witness will just be powerless. It'll be a waste. So... Come back to the question, why do so many Christians lack the power of God's Holy Spirit in their lives? Number one, they fail to truly seek God's face. Number two, because we fail to turn from our sinful ways. And here's the third one. We fail to truly surrender to the Holy Spirit. You know, many of us are still trying to live the Christian life by our own might and our own power rather than surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit. As long as we are still in control, as long as we're still calling our own shots, as long as we continue to please ourselves rather than the Lord Jesus Christ, we will never know the transforming power of God's Holy Spirit. Folks, sometimes we have to get out of the way and let the Spirit lead us. Our Christianity will be nothing more than an exercise in human futility. Um, and our Christianity will be nothing more than an outward demonstration rather than an inward transformation if we don't get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit lead us. Not by might, nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord. Thirdly, let's consider this. The divine plan for receiving God's power today. You know, after the surgery that I had and after I started feeling good enough that I wanted to start helping so that I didn't want to feel just useless around the house, I decided that I was going to take on one of the tasks that Valerie just hates to do, and I was going to clean the kitchen floor. And, I, well, I couldn't get down in the floor like she does with hands <coughs> and knees, so I go out to the shop and I put me a, long handle on a good scrub brush so I could stand up and do this. And I filled the sink full of warm water and all that, the kitchen sink. So I was using this sink there and I'm got the cleaner and I'm going at it. And I'd clean a little while and I'd wash my brush off and clean a little while and the water got so dirty, I would drain it. And then I would go at it a little more, clean another little section of floor and uh, the water would get so dirty, I would drain it. And I would fill it back up and about the third time I did this and started to drain it and the water wouldn't go out. 
the screen in the bottom of the sink there was totally clogged up from all the debris and stuff that come off the floor. So I realized that I had to clean the screen out so the water would flow through. Let me tell you something. When the power of God's Holy Spirit is not flowing in our lives, it means we must remove whatever it is that is preventing his power from flowing through us. It means something's stopping it up. It means we need to remove that. You know, it takes us back to the things we just talked about here in this, in this message. First of all, in order to experience the power of God's Spirit, I must be willing to seek God's face. In the fourth chapter of Deuteronomy, it says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And in the 105th Psalms in verse 4, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Folks, let's face it. Most of us, I believe, live our lives on cruise control. You know, we've, we have our daily routine that we like, our comfort zone from which we don't like to venture from. We just kind of fit in that cruise control. You know, and now that I'm officially old, I'm being 65 now, you know, if I change my normal routine, I'm kind of discombobulated the rest of the day. Things are messed up. Is discombobulated a word? Okay, well, it is now, if it's not. But it just messes me up for the whole, for the whole day. You see, we like familiarity. We like that. We're, com we're comfortable with familiarity. Um, that's our friend. We like it so well. But if our comfort zone is what's keeping us from experiencing the power of God in our lives, we should do something about it. Let me ask you this question. What would happen if we started seeking the direction and guidance of God's Holy Spirit in all of our plans and pursuits? What would happen? What if we started seeking the counsel of God's Holy Spirit in every decision that we made? What if you and I had the courage to pray this prayer every morning? Father, not my will be done, but yours be done today in my life. I wonder how different our lives would be um, if instead of um, staying in our little comfort zone that we made ourselves completely available to go where he wants us to go and do the things he wants us to do. How different would that be? Secondly, in order to experience the power of God, Spirit in our, in our life, I must be willing to turn from my sinful ways. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss. You were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. <clears throat> Let me ask this question. Say you were having company over for dinner, and after cooking the meal, it's now time to set the table. Do you use the nice, clean dishes that you have in the cabinet? or you use the dirty dishes you have in the dishwasher. 
Which one do you use? I think the answer is pretty obvious to that. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, it describes a Christian as earthen vessels. So for the sake of an analogy this morning, think of ourselves, just think of yourself as a dish. You know, when there is a sinful habit in our lives, we're just like a dirty dish. You know, that sinful habit is like a dirty dish in, in your life. Now, which is God most likely to use? The clean dish or the dirty dish? Well, that answer is pretty obvious too. You know, if you and I, if we're going to experience the power of God's spirit at work in our lives, we must be willing to turn from our sinful ways. We must keep our dishes clean, in other words. And thirdly, if I'm to experience the power of God's Spirit in my life, I must be willing to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Now in Romans, the eighth chapter in verse 14, he says this, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You know, when we're going on a long trip, generally, I start out driving, and most of the time I'll drive most of the way. But when I get really tired, I hand over the control to Valerie and she drives. And most of you guys, I think you're the same way. You know, you go on a long trip, you drive, and when you get really tired, you know, you get sleepy, you turn over the controls to your spouse. Some of you still shaking your heads, no. You know, the question is this. What if I let my ego keep me from turning over the wheel to Valerie and I just keep on driving when I'm really, really tired and I'm exhausted and I can't keep my eyes open. You know, not only would that be foolish and dangerous, it could potentially be deadly there. Well, spiritually speaking, many people, they've been, been behind the wheel most of their Christian life and they've never, ever turned over the control to God's Spirit. They've been doing it all by themselves. You see, as long as we are behind the wheel, we are in control. The Holy Spirit is just waiting on us to surrender the control to Him. And you see, when we do, He will bring fresh power into our lives and provide our soul with much-needed rest. One of the things that we need to learn to do is we need to learn to get out of the way. The Holy Spirit is important to us or it wouldn't have been given to us. When we're baptized and the Holy Spirit is added to our lives, you know, Jesus knew that we could not do it alone. But so often, we try to. Not by might, nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord. You know, you and I, we can't live the Christian life by ourselves. It's just too hard. You know, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We cannot be victorious over sin by ourselves. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We cannot produce spiritual fruit by ourselves. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We can't mature into Christ -like, mature Christ-likeness by ourselves. We need the help of the Holy Spirit, not by might nor by power, but my Spirit, says the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful. 
that you give us the spirit to live within us. Father, help us, everyone, to turn our control over to him. Help us not to try to do things by ourselves. Help us to be led by your spirit. Father, if it wasn't important, you wouldn't have given it to us. You knew in advance that we couldn't do it by ourselves. And you give us your spirit to help us and guide us and show us the way. Father, we just pray that we would be more apt to use the spirit in our everyday life. In Jesus' name.